It's only a few weeks into the new year and Kenna and I are ready for it to all end as we double down on planet-killing asteroid movies. Welcome everyone to Rebooted! The podcast where we are recasting classic movie reboots so Hollywood doesn't have to do it. Not sure what I would change in this movie, but this is what I do know. This movie is one million times better than Armageddon, mm -hmm. and this one has the balls to show a meteor strike. So take that, Michael Bay. Yeah. Why have we forgotten Deep Impact and we can't forget Armageddon? It should be the other way around. It's it's really weird. I guess because it doesn't look like a Mercedes-Benz car commercial. I don't know. Did you see that Jeep like explode at the beginning? <laughs> that happened, and I was like, I feel like they got wind of whatever Michael Bay was doing, and they were like, quick, throw a Jeep off a cliff! Fireballs! A little over a year ago, two American astronomers, Marcus Wolf and Leo Biedemann, working on a mountaintop in Arizona, saw something say in the anything. night sky that caused them great concern. Comet. But the comet was, well, there was a remote possibility that the comet was on a path that could bring it into direct contact with the Earth. Now, we get hit all the time by rocks and meteors, some of them the size of cars, some no bigger than your hand. But the comet we discovered is the size of New York City, from the north side of Central Park to the Battery, about seven miles long. Put another way, this comet is larger than Mount Everest. It weighs 500 billion tons. What's strange is that I, I felt more terror in this movie than in Armageddon. Well, that's because when the, is it when the missiles fail? Like when they announce what the plan B is, yeah. you're like, oh crap. Like they're putting people away to like restart humanity they, because like everything is ending. That is terrifying. But also I love them for it because I'm like, this is an incredible plan B. It it's, is so well thought out. It, it's it's like so well measured and you feel like every step they're like, we thought about it. This is what we're doing. And then it fails and then it fails. And the next one fails. The next one fails. The next one fails. And you're like, geez, like this is so horrifying. Like it's a slow decay into hysteria as opposed to Armageddon, which immediately starts with manic, insane, cartoonish, sort of like like comic booky um situ like a situation. But I just found myself so I watched the, I started this movie at like, I don't know, eleven PM. I was like, I'll watch half an hour today, half an hour like the next day, the next day. I watched the whole thing. I was so yeah. I was so into it. And we're gonna we're gonna deep dive into deep impact today, guys. Yep. On rebooted, uh, let's introduce ourselves because it's 2020 and some people might not know what this podcast is. This shiny new podcast. I'm Brian Flynn, and with me as always is Kenna Trent. And I say always because we started a movie reboot podcast called The Boot, which we renamed Rebooted mm -hmm. starting this year. Now, fans of that podcast can expect the same great movie discussions yeah. that we talk about on Rebooted. If you're not a fan of it. Expect lots of different things. <laughs> New and exciting. <laughs> it's all news. different. Yeah. Um, essentially, we're going to take a classic movie. We're going to talk about certain people in the cast as if the movie was to be remade today. Uh, we're going to do four people today. Mm -hmm. Taya Leone, Morgan Freeman, Robert Duvall, and Elijah Wood, who we thought were kind of the most important because there's lots of different stories in this that we're following. Yeah. So these are like representatives from each of the big yeah. sections of the movie. And we're going to just talk about what would Deep Impact look like in 2020. Um, but before we do, we always like to talk about some Hollywood, actual Hollywood reboot news, which there's a lot to start with today. Yeah. So why don't we get into it? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids director in talks for Return to Reboot starring Josh Gad. Uh, this is from Variety. Joe Johnson, the original director of... Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is in negotiations to helm Disney's upcoming reboot of the film franchise with Josh Gad to star. I'm trying to see. This marks this is the third sequel in the franchise. Gad pitched the story idea to Disney earlier this year, and the studio jumped on board the idea of reviving the classic 1989 pick. Um, in quotes, Shrunk will mark the third sequel following the original oh. film. With Honey, I Blew Up the Kid and direct-to-video Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. 
What else is there left to do? We talked about this very, yeah, very movie on episode episode 68 of the f- formerly known as the Boot Podcast, mm-hmm. which you could still check out, guys, on our iTunes feed. So Yeah, it's all still there. It's all still there. What do um, you think about this? Josh Gad? I'm not... I feel like some people feel a certain way about Josh Gad. I think he's great for like a family comedy. We loved Honey, I Shrunk the Kids on our rewatch. It is, it holds up. It is so much fun. It is truly a unique piece of family cinema. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's a bad idea to try this out. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how it goes. So this is the same Variety article. In this version, Gad would play Wayne's grown-up son who follows in his father's footsteps by not only becoming a scientist, but also accidentally shrinking his children. Uh, okay. So it's a, it's a sequel in that it's the same story. <laughs> yep. That's a little Force awakens kind <laughs> but of. But with new actors playing the same yeah. characters. Okay. Okay. I think we both said yes, we would remake this movie. And then I think yeah. we pitched to like a really insane version of this movie based around the sister and the neighbor, like still like being in love with each other oh, or something yeah. like that. Oh, like they come back. I think we did. <laughs> they like come back to the house and something or happens like her to them. Became a f- fam- you know what? I'll just drop whatever. Yeah, we said. whatever we said. But we did pitch a really good version of this. So Zelensky makes an a incredible amount of money on his technology, which has changed the shipping industry like none other. Okay. Which is his original goal. Yeah. Not like this could be weaponized in any way. No. And so the company has expanded. Wayne is stepping down. Amy and Nick are taking over. Mm-hmm. But they have to, like, consolidate their books. Like, their father's a mess. Mm-hmm. And he ran his company just like his life. It's Everything's a mess. So they have to go and clean stuff up. And for some reason, they find on their books the company's paying a crazy amount of money for some property and they find out it's the old house and they go back to the neighborhood (laughs) and they find some other like crazy tech that their dad like to help build the machine okay never used it was just like oh here's all his like failed tests or something like that and then dirty ass fucking ron thompson (laughs) shows up cracks another ball (laughs) through the window rinse repeat just rinse repeat this fucker rolling on through Power Rangers to be rebooted again at Paramount with end of the fucking world director. Um, we have talked about the Power Rangers movie on end and I will not, mm-hmm. I won't get into my whole shtick about the last reboot, but um, I wanted to talk about this because of who was just attached. Jonathan Enton Whistle. Um, <laughs> the boot may be dead, but my inability to pronounce names <laughs> carries on very strong. Ent, Entwistle. Mm-hmm. Um, who directed the popular Netflix show End of the Fucking World, which I thought was incredible. I haven't watched season two yet. I haven't either. But um, I really enjoyed that. And, I, and I, I'm and of two minds. I think that guy is very talented and the cast that he put together was incredible. And, mm-hmm. you know, the story based on a comic book is, is you know, really cool. But um, I feel like the last Power Rangers movie was like, let's put a dark spin on these teenage superheroes. And we got the weird fucking movie that we ended up with and no one wanted that so i don't know how i feel yeah people didn't want that i gotta say the further i get from from the one time i watched it the more weirdly nostalgic i feel for it (laughs) that it it deserved better than it did but it really didn't deserve better than it it really didn't deserve better but there were like moments where you're like oh this has something to it it's at a dining establishment where (gasps) what does that mean what's it called it's a Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme. This is a special place. Very special. It must be. The source of life itself is buried there. Yeah, it's one of those movies where it's like literally, if you had given it to literally anyone else, it would have turned out differently. And maybe we would have liked that more. So maybe we're getting that. They're creatively handing it over to someone else who will... Do, but it's so confusing. That's the thing that really bugs me about all these reboots that happen over and over. Mostly I'm looking at Spider-Man directly in the face and blinking hey, at no. it. But it's like we it hasn't been that long and they're just going to recast the Power Rangers. And so it's like how many versions of Power Rangers do we need? 
I have no idea. I have no idea. I I I have no answers for this other than I think because it's Paramount, and you look at all their their slates of like properties they own. Like Star Trek is like Star Trek TV is crushing it, but like what is going on with the Star Trek movie? Suddenly, isn't it's it like, like switching hands again? Yeah, it's like we were gonna make a Star Trek movie with you know Chris Pine, and we're gonna bring back Chris Hemsworth, and then they couldn't negotiate deals for those guys, so that died, and then like Quentin Tarantino was like. I want to make a Star Trek movie, and they were like, "Great, but you can't swear." And he's like, "Well, I'm out." And now they're um, the guy who's Noah Noah Hawley, the guy who did Legion. Noah Holly. Holly. Mm-hmm. Um, he's apparently making a Star Trek movie, and now but they're he like, doesn't want to use Chris Pine. Yeah, I, I so I don't know what I, this really just feels like. Paramount is just like they're trying to get in the game. They're trying to buy back into the table with some IP and they just uh, they don't have yeah. any clue what to do. Do you know what I think would actually be massively successful? And I think because it is the exact opposite of what has been popular for quite a number of years now is instead of trying to do a very like realistic real life like these kids have problems and we're going to we're not going to make it shiny go back to the days of like taking the Japanese show fighting scenes and just putting like like emotional interludes and in, like creating relationships in the in-between. I think people would really love that if it was that nostalgic like... Are you saying take like clips of the old show and put it in the movie or... Yeah, because like, like you know how have like two production units, one in Japan filming Japanese actors in costumes well, no. and rubber monster suits, and then having like an American. Well, I'm saying literal, which I maybe maybe this is insane. But I'm saying literally, just do what they did for the original show, except like take that original source material, the Japanese source material, and just like create something new from that. Oh, I see. Because you know how like the for those of you who don't know. When the Power Rangers in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers are fighting, those are not the American actors in their suits fighting. So many tears of people who are now realizing that. It's from a Japanese show and America took that and then they put American actors mm-hmm. in the costumes for them to take their helmets off and kiss each other. But And it worked. It worked. And, and it made so much money. I think it would be so much fun to go back to the camp of like, let's just go back to like pretty teens in kind of tacky costumes and not make it the overly produced like Marvel. Like differentiate yourself from superheroes and make yourself Power Rangers. I think that'd be fun. I, you know, that's at least interesting to me. You know, I think that you're onto something and I I don't say this enough. And, you know, it's 2020. Let's I would watch a lot of the movies you think of, Kenna. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I needed that validation because... (laughs) Um, honestly, if people listen to our podcast more, <laughs> I feel like we would be getting calls, but nobody important does. All right. Let's get into, uh, deep impact because I, there's so much to talk about this movie and, and my goal for okay. this podcast, this okay. episode is mm-hmm. to get everyone to watch deep impact. Again. Yeah, I agree. We have to revive this movie. I agree. Popular culture. You ready to talk about this movie? I'm so ready. Guys, this is our reboot of Deep Impact. How many nukes we have left in the bag? Four. Okay, if we can get the remaining bombs in that vent, there shouldn't be anything left of that comet bigger than a suitcase. Now, we can't do anything about the little one, but, uh, you know, it just might give them a chance. Now, without the Army codes, we're going to have to wait to set the bomb timers until we get closer to Earth to raise Houston. We may not have enough life support left to get back into the cargo bay for the nukes, much less to work down on the comet. We sure as hell don't have enough propellant left in the Messiah to, uh, to maneuver with. How are we supposed to get back off the surface once we've, uh, once we've gone down there? We don't. Hey, look at the bright side. We'll all have high schools named after us. Okay, let's do the math real quick. Oh, okay. I'm not, what? <laughs> do the math real quick. How many astronauts survived Armageddon? Oh Five. gosh, like there were like seventeen that went up there. Yeah, four came back, three came back. Yeah. How many astronauts survived Deep Impact? None. None. Full ultimate sacrifice. They gave it all. Here's what you know when you get into your chair and you 
boot up this movie and the you know the it, it the stars appear and it pans down to a very soft sort of like summer night on an astrology club. <laughs> you already immediately <laughs> like, well, this is a much different movie. Uh huh. And then um, the next scene has a two women in it talking to each other. Yes. And you're like, wow, this is a completely different movie. And then the nerds have screen time to explain actual science. And you're just like, why, why, why? <laughs> like, Here's the thing. This Armageddon and Deep Impact as a double feature should be taught in film classes as the difference in the male and female perspective. Because here's the big difference, guys. A man directed Armageddon. A woman directed Deep Impact. That in and of itself, like you can just feel it the second the movie starts that there is like something more like serious and soft about Deep Impact. (laughs) Armageddon is like a punch to the face and then an uppercut and then like a karate chop. Let's be fair. Any other man directing Armageddon doesn't make Armageddon. They make something that's like Apollo 13. That's very true. But I'll say this. And we talked about how Apollo 13 had its issues, too, about how essentially, I mean, we could have done more with the women because we also care about the people left on the ground. But I think... Given the fact that this is a huge disaster movie, like we're talking extinction level events, ELEs, Ellie's, yeah, Ellie's, and they gave this big CGI because you know, like you're like, oh, the the meteor is going to hit Earth. Like this is going to be a big, there's a big wave. Like today, I feel like people would be like, a woman can't do that. They would give it to a man. You just would. And so the fact that they trusted Mimi Leader. With this movie, genius. It was amazing. Uh, I have a few more numbers, if I may, and this will be the last time I talk about Armageddon for the rest <laughs> of my days. Okay. Um, Armageddon released date June 30th, 1998, a budget of $140 million, a box office $553.7 million. Jeez. Deep Impact release date May 8th, 1998, so it came out a month before, almost two months before mm-hmm. Armageddon. It had a budget of $80 million. So again, this movie was paid... 30 75 cents to the dollar. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Oh my gosh. Uh and it made 349.5 million. Now if you do the math, Armageddon made slightly less than four times its budget. Mm-hmm. Deep Impact made more than four times its budget. It was more successful. The you know, cast an oil driller, his daughter, her boyfriend and the head of NASA. This cast a nightly news anchor, the president of the United States, a NASA veteran and a teenage Boy, this it's, it's like it's crazy how much Deep Impact makes you care about everyone. Yes, and how much more human this movie is compared to its blockbuster counterpart. And as many famous people as you get in Armageddon, there were I was convinced that even all of our background actors were famous in Deep Impact because it was like you see like Dugray Scott as like Taylioni's. Uh, like cameraman and you're like oh uh, everybody in this movie is famous James Cromwell Vanessa Redgrave John Favreau Richard Schiff Lee Lee Sobieski is in this movie <laughs> in terms of cameo cast Deep Impact blows Armageddon out of the water out Who else of the did, water you already named some of these Vanessa Red, you said Vanessa Redgrave Blair Underwood Laura Ines Ron Eldard Mary McCormick Richard Schiff uh, Maximilian Schell, incredible Michael actor. Michael Malley as the science teacher. Michael Malley in his heyday. We're talking. It is a. Mur- do you have it guts, Mike? <laughs> it is a murderer's row of that person is in this movie yes. cameos. And it every and it it blows my mind to hear like the difference between that and Armageddon, like budget wise, because I'm like they got everyone. Yeah, I'm sure they got everyone they wanted. Like. Even getting, even at this time, getting Morgan Freeman to play the president, incredible. Good on you. I just, I'm genuinely blown away by how much better this movie is. (laughs) And the pure insanity of Armageddon blew it out of the water. I I feel like we have, now I feel this desire to do all of these like duo movies now to be like, which one really, there might be one we all remember, but which one really was better? It's just so sad because when you top, when you talk about Deep Impact, mm-hmm. you can't talk about you can't talk about it without talking about Armageddon. Yeah. And when you talk Armageddon, 
No one talks about Deep Impact. Yeah. But everyone, everyone makes fun of that movie. The solutions are in Deep Impact. Yes. Oh, everything we talked about, because to be honest, we didn't know we were going to do Deep Impact for sure next. Right. But even the stuff as I was watching it that I was like, we were talking about these solutions and the solutions are here. Everything that we were like, why are they doing this? <laughs> what is so happening? Crazy. There's an answer to someone heard in us. this movie. Mimi Leader heard us. 20 years ago and was like, I got and two you. months before Armageddon, <laughs> no, so not funny. even after. Okay, let's get into the cast. Let's talk about Taya Leone as Jenny Lerner because I love this character. I thought it was so awesome. So awesome. They even, I will say this, it, at a certain point in this movie, I was like, I think we're taking a little long to get to the point. But what I love about how Jenny gets us to the point is that we're just following her on a sort of she's ambitious. She's trying to get to the bottom of this story about about an affair about an like they think that there is a cover story that's covering for an affair in the White House. And that's what she thinks she's going after. And then the president approaches her and is like, what do you really know about ELEs? Which she doesn't at the time. Ms. Lerner, Tom Beck, I understand you've come into some information. Ms. Lerner was just expressing her lack of enthusiasm for matters of national security, where journalistic competitiveness is at stake. Mr. President, I'm not interested in using Ellie to further my career. What do you know about Ellie? I know you should have picked a better cover story than a sick wife. See? What did I tell you? We'd always thought the deadline for going public was the publication of the budget, since we've spent more money than we can hide. But the budget comes out in two weeks. I don't suppose I could convince you to sit on this for two weeks. There's no such thing as two weeks in the news business. And I can't appeal to your sense of what's in the nation's best interest. Well, I always thought the truth was in the nation's best interest. It is a really fascinating way to get to the point of the movie, because at that point, we get it. We're like, oh, there's a meteor that's going to hit the Earth, but nobody else gets it. But I love what this movie does so great is it lives in that moment of who knows and who doesn't. Yeah. And as soon as Tay Leone or as soon as... Um, the character Jenny learns. Mm-hmm. I thought it was so awesome to follow a character who knows that the earth is potentially going to explode. She's starting to get her priorities in order and everyone else in waking life is just sort of like carrying on. And I was like, that is a great, that is so great for a film to do just and briefly. The chutzpah of a movie in which Jenny is, because she's our, uh, our way into the world for her to not have like, because the the way people would write this movie today, or really at any other time, would be Jenny's in some sort of relationship, and all the drama comes from like whatever's happening between her and this guy. No, this movie is about her reconciling with her family. Like she only has, she knows I she, know. <laughs> and it's so the actual crazy. like it's it's so mind blowing to think that that's where we focus. Like, because it's so good for her character. Like, she has a great relationship with her mom who ends up like, well, I don't, now I'm like, I don't want to ruin anything I in know. case you want to watch this movie. But it's so good. Whatever. But like, she's has a great relationship with her mom who ends up like knowing that she's uh, like not going to be saved. She's not going to go to the Ark. And so she ends her own life essentially to just not have somebody else do it for, not to have the event like do it for her, which ultimately like she probably would have lived anyway. But... To then, like, have Jenny, like, sacrifice her life just to have that moment with her dad where she's like, forget it. Like, I still, like, you know I love it. Like, it's beautiful. Michael Bay <laughs> can only dream of creating a moment like that. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know how. He doesn't think it's important. And this, but this has so much more depth. It's so good. Ugh. Uh, I think you should go first. Okay. Um, I felt like I took a pretty standard look at this because here's the thing about Jenny. She has to be someone who is, she starts as a reporter, but she doesn't start as like a an on-camera personality. And so we get to see her kind of 
someone who's clearly been working the beat for a long time and trying to get there. And then she finally becomes like the face. She's like the Walter Cronkite of this. Yeah. Moment. Like she they keep her on air because they're like, you're the one you were around when the announcement happened. So like people trust you. Yeah. It's like America saw you. Yeah. They're going to rely on you. They're going to watch you. Even though she's very not charismatic on camera, which I found very interesting because I was like, Taylor, is she acting? Um, that sounded very harsh. But <laughs> anyway, uh, I picked Blake Lively as my Jenny. Oh, very interesting. Which I liked because I like the idea of how Taylor is a very... She's a very beautiful young woman, and so she's clearly navigating that thing of like her professional relationships and the relationships she's using to get information, and still trying to like play that toe that line, but also cater to Beth, who is I'm not sure who she is in her life, but she's essentially the person who's going to try to help her get to the next level. Uh-huh. And so it's that thing where you're looking at Taylorone and you're like, you're going to make it. Like, look at you, you're going to make it. But like she just hasn't gotten there yet. And so I like the idea of us like seeing Blake Lively for the first time and being like, you're going to make it, but let's see how you get there. Yeah, I like that pick. Yeah. Um, I think Blake Lively has made a couple great movie choices recently, like A Simple Favor. Is that what it's called? A Simple Favor? Yeah. Which, I mean, it wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but I thought it was kind of underrated for what it was. (laughs) And then she made this weird action movie that I don't think anyone saw, but it was just like... I will she's say not following she's not falling into like the I guess I'm going to throw Rachel McAdams under the bus. But like <laughs> like the, the a career hey, Rachel of like, McAdams, we don't blame her for True Detective season two. She was good. No, but I just mean like, you know, like just the path of like, let's just let's just give you girlfriends and mothers, you know, like let's just. Well, she and I admittedly hate seeing this preview because I've seen it so many times. Um, but the rhythm section is coming out this year, which is very different from her, sort of like unprettying her and making her more of a gritty. I mean, it could be a play at like a, the opposite of like a simple favor where she's like, I kind of just want to do what interests me. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I like that pick. I And all, everything you said about Jenny, I, it's weird. I wrote the exact same thing. You know, she is the emotional anchor of this movie. And so you need an actress who can really carry that weight, who Mm -hmm. goes from like inexperienced beat reporter who thinks she's just like fishing for like Washington gossip trash to being the face of America, America's nightly news to then having that moment, that personal deep moment, the scene when she finds out her. Spoiler alert. Are we spoiling this movie? I guess. I'm uh, truly, if you've made it this far and you haven't stopped to watch the movie, just stop us and go watch the movie. Yeah. Trust us that you're going to enjoy it. But also, you I just don't want to ruin it for you if you haven't seen All it. All right. So do a quick pause and then come right back. The scene where Jenny learns that her mother's dead and mm-hmm. she's like walking through the rain and her dad shows up and her dad is, uh, this casting choice is so funny to have like this French actor or Belgium actor to be like, come get in the car, come, come get inside. Taylor delivers like a really powerful performance, mm-hmm. and it's this very small moment that is bigger than any comet hitting Earth could be. And you watch this movie, and you're like, this movie has that moment several times for every character yeah. that they show. You're too late. I already took care of everything. Come, come inside the car. You're getting sick. Please. I want to talk to you. Please, come. I don't give a shit. Go home and tell it to Chloe. I can't. She left me. She's with her mother. They both got scared. Come. I want to talk to you. I need you. How does it feel? I feel like an orphan. And it's just Some more effectively than others, and we'll get to Elijah Wood. Yes. But you're... Who I did not want to do. (laughs) We have to. We we just have to, because we can't not talk about that insanity. All right. I ended up picking Gugu Mbatha-Ra from Motherless Brooklyn and... I love it. Cloverfield. Uh, Here's the thing about uh, Gugu. Yes. Um, It sounds crazy, but it's her name. Her IMDb page is lit with movies that I should have watched. And it's just like, mm. I feel like I just kept missing her. So I, I ended up watching Cloverfield Paradox. I really want to see Motherless Brooklyn. That looks like Ed Norton's doing some weird 
weird ass shit, but yeah. I love a good good noir. But like watching her and like looking at like what she's been in and like trying to like research her as an actress, she really seems like an actress who plays these roles as a person who either like has to go into or finds themselves in the eye of the storm. Mm-hmm. And how she reacts to those situations, I found to be like exactly who this Jenny is. No one wants this story. Yeah. But it's Jenny who finds it. It's Jenny who carries it the whole way. And that's who I kind of saw. You have to have someone who like when she's in wherever she is and the president is they're having this clandestine meeting. She doesn't know what he's talking about. She She still thinks. Or she doesn't think he's a woman. She thinks he's talking about a woman. Yeah. Because at this point, she's like, I know that they've been talking about someone named Ellie privately. She's like, someone's having an affair. It's probably the president. And so then when he plays the hand of what do you know about ELEs and spells something out for her, literally, um, she kind of has to keep that poker face of like, I don't know what you mean right now. Yeah. But I this could be good for me. So I'm still going to keep that kind of composure. And so I think I think you're right in that Gugu is great. And she is sort of at this point where I'm like, I think you're very talented and probably should be a little bigger than you are, which is always, you know, people's careers. Like, it's hard to know what's going to be a hit. That's kind of how I always felt about Taya Leone. I was like, how is Taya Leone not like a household name? But it's that thing of like, yeah, she did like she did things that could have been Deep Impact, Jurassic Park three or whatever, like things that like... Seemed like a sure bet and just weren't. weren't. Yeah. Which is Her the first same... movie, Bad Boys, directed by Michael Bay. Really? Yeah. Fascinating. Very fascinating. My last thing about Jenny, would you have resisted DeGray Scott and left the helicopter? Or would you have been like, yes, DeGray, let's get into the mines. <laughs> you know, my dad I mean... is uh, 75. <laughs> He'll be fine. I, I, well, I don't, I think it's less because DeGray Scott is super hot. In this movie, <laughs> but I get how like even her like taking Beth's kid and like running to essentially be like, I'm not giving you a choice. You go. I think that's more the thing of like she is not going to let her friend with a kid yeah. stay there no matter how she feels about anything else. Like, I get that. There's I don't know like, what I would do, she but can't, I get it. She can't let her father die without her saying goodbye. She already yeah. couldn't say goodbye to one, and so she has to say goodbye to the other. And, and in how, doing so, they die together, and it's so fucking heartbreaking. But how poignant, too. This moment killed me when uh, when I think she says something about, like, go home to Chloe or whatever her, like, stepmom's name uh-huh. is. And he's like, oh, she's with her. Like, she left me. She left. She She's with her with mom. Her yeah. Like <laughs> that so moment great. of like, okay, yeah, like that relationship clearly was superficial because like the end of days comes and she's like, nah, I'm out. We're not going to be together for this. And it's like, wow, what a great like thing to slide in of like, here's what happens in people's minds and lives when this thing is going to happen. Like, yeah. Oh, this movie. <sighs> Let's move on to the prescient. It's not really prescient. Let's move on to President Beck, played by Morgan Freeman. The first time America saw a black president on TV, and we were like, you know what? Really? This was the first time? I don't know. I just, for me, it was. And I was like, you know what? This ain't half bad. I kind of like this. It is funny. And in retrospect. It is funny how, like, people, at this point, Morgan Freeman is so established. People like him. People trust him. Maybe we shouldn't have. But it is fascinating to sort of be like, oh, yeah, I'm sure America was just like, we believe this. So then to then hear like that we had such controversy over actually having a black president. It's like, huh, well. I remember watching this as a kid and being like, oh, that's really cool that they made the president African-American. Mm-hmm. And then I remember immediately being like, man, they kind of did him dirty by by making him the president where the world literally ends. Like, Also, why didn't he, how did he live? I thought he did he escape? I never I, I feel like I missed the moment where like they were like, get on. I don't think they show him escaping, but honestly, like they wouldn't make concessions for the president of the United States. Like he definitely had a place. He had a bunker to go to. Like I know he had I was, to. I was of two minds where I was like, I kind of wish he died. I kind of wish that he would be like, no, 
give my life, give my spot to someone else. But isn't that really but like the captain goes down with the ship kind of proverbially. But isn't that like the thing about like having a role like being president? Because that's something I thought about. I was like, is he the kind of person who would be like, I'm not going to hide whatever happens, happens. But I think that's part of being the president is that even though you're like, maybe I should go down with the ship, everybody else around you is like, no, because yeah. we're going to need you. Yeah, you're right. Like the, like, the continuation of like law and order is going to come from you. And if you're yeah. not here, people aren't going to agree that the vice president or whoever should be in charge. Yeah. Our missiles have failed. The comets are still headed for Earth. And there's nothing we can do to stop them. So this is it. If the world does go on, it will not go on for everyone. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. I for, I completely forgot about the lottery. Like when he goes out and he's like explaining yeah. what's going to happen. That is a big moment where you're just like, oh my god! Like, like we're sitting in the Biederman's living room watching them watch it and they get the call yeah. because it's, like Hunger Game. it's immediately yeah. like Hunger Games has and just like started. they're sitting there and then they're like friends are sitting with them and they're just like okay well, well maybe we're just not home and they're calling us and you're having that feeling of like no nope. no one's getting you're not getting that your call. your 16 year old son didn't discover this meteor look at look at all right um I'll go first I um there's a there's a clear reason why Morgan Freeman was selected for this role. He could probably mm-hmm. still do it today because President Beck has about five mega moments that, you know, this actor has to deliver and deliver big time. Like every time he addresses the nation, every time the thing doesn't work. Um, and then even in those like quiet moments where he's like you feel the weight of the world on him, like he he no matter what happens, the people can't get it done. And it's ultimately up to him to make these choices. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And you're going to love this. Fan, fans of the boot, old podcasts are really going to enjoy my pick. I picked Kevin Costner. <gasps> Kevin, we love to see it. <laughs> um, I That's just, a great choice. Thank you. I just sort of was, I, I, I honestly wanted to pick Robert Redford, but he's just a little too old and he's yeah. technically retired. So I didn't want to drag him back. But I, I just wanted to pick a, sort of an aging actor who is about the same age who could Stand there and look presidential, but also, you know, deliver this horrible news with a kind of calm and measured um, presence. Yeah. And he's he's who I sort of thought of like a second because I thought of Redford first, but he's sort of like red redford light i guess yeah as like a because that's the thing is you just have to know he's a trusted authority like there's something so easy about him even being like the world might end this is how it's gonna happen these are the people who are gonna go into space to try to fix it plus he survived in a water world he knows how to do it are you like that (laughs) (laughs) who'd you pick um I also I said I'll take your African American president before it's time and raise you a female president before it's time. Mm. I picked Jodie Foster. Oh, I like that. I like her as a sort of I I like the relationship, the pseudo relationship that we have between Beck and Ginny. Yeah, where like they see each other early enough on where there's just something between like Beck kind of like trusting her yeah. to be the one. Um, and I, I think I would really love to see that scene happen between two women. However, however uh, it sort of needed to play out in this version, I think it'd be very interesting. Yeah. I like that pick. There was an actress that I considered and I really wanted to sort of put her in because I thought she could do it, but I just felt like the shock value of me saying her name would have just sent this podcast spiraling. The shock I value? I almost, almost, almost picked Oprah. Holy cow. <laughs> I was like so close. And I kept thinking about it and I was just like... That would like, it would almost wreck the movie. It would. Like her That's appearance. why I was like, if she's in this movie as the president of the United States, then this movie becomes about Oprah being the president of the United States and less about the actual story of this movie which to bring up a point that i think in the in the late 90s oprah definitely would have been in the bunker 
Um, oh yeah, who, who who's in the bunker? But what's fascinating is, is Kanye in the bunker. He's in the bunker. He's in the bunker. I don't know. I think he's in the But that's what's so fascinating is that they don't dwell on, they're literally like, okay, we've picked 200,000 people that are like important to our culture that we think like needs, and they don't, I think this movie, if it were to be made today, would do that weird thing where they try to cameo people. But this is just like, we're doing it, it, you don't- You don't see it. You don't sit with it. But But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, who- who would have made it? Who do you want to be in the bunker? And if you're in the bunker with that person, what do you say to them? <laughs> you're hanging out in the bunker. You're eating your potatoes oh, under we're like. we're for sure in two separate parts of the bunker. Oh, the fa- there's a famous person bunker? And Definitely. A- oh, wow. In the soft limestone of Missouri, we've been preparing a network of immense caves. And they're almost finished. And we can put a million people in them. And that million people can survive there underground for two years until the air clears and the dust settles. And the cave is more than a dormitory. It's our new Noah's Ark. We're storing seeds and seedlings, plants, animals, enough to start over. Yeah, who would be in who would be in my bunker? Um the Obamas. Um I'm trying to think of just American people because they say that all around the world they're developing yeah. their own. So it would just have to be like American important. Well, here's people. a question: What about like our Canadian celebrities? Do they not get a bunker? Like, ooh, do you know what would does like Martin Short not get a bunker? Does he have to go to Canada and get into Canada's bunker? Well, I guess it depends on like citizenship because they're picking people by well for the special people probably not but they're picking the regular people by social security i hope we sent johnny depp to fucking france they'll be like you get in the french one the funny thing (laughs) the funny thing would be if they essentially are like what if we use this as a way to like clear out which this isn't great because there's lots of innocent people on death row but like clear out death row let's stick like r kelly in the direct path of the Let's give like Harvey Weinstein a front row view of the. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no joke. I think this is actually a show coming to HBO. Like it takes place during Katrina. And in the aftermath of Katrina, like the mafia just went after like all the people that they wanted killed and like killed all these people because the government couldn't assess their whereabouts. <gasps> and I think that what? someone is developing a TV show about For HBO? Like, this kind of conceit of like, well, the, you know, it's in a disaster. Let's take care of some business. Well, that's the, the truly insane thing that I think I I love this aspect of movies because it feels like we're a heartbeat away from this at all times is just like a small because this is huge, but a small thing shifting and the whole world just being like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. Like, I mean, like it happened in L.A. in the 90s after Rodney mm-hmm. King, like yeah. people just went nuts. And so it can it. It can happen. Purge. The purge days are upon us. Man, wouldn't that be exciting? We should do that movie. Oh, no, they keep making them. Okay, I think we should move on to Spurgeon Fish Tanner, played by Robert Duvall. What's Um, the name of the fish? Sturgeon Sturgeon. is the fish. Why did I say Spurgeon? Because I wrote Spurgeon. Well, Spurgeon is his name. Okay. Right? And he says, like, Sturgeon is the fish. It it only took people a matter of time to make the connection, Uh, and they just call him fish. It didn't take me at all because I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Spurgeon's a fish. (laughs) Um, Robert Duvall is the ultimate dad in space. He is the guy no one wants on the mission, but soon yeah. realizes that he's the only one who will keep him sharp and in good spirits. Um, I'll say this. I, for two and a half seconds, was like, you know who would be great at this? Barry Pepper. That's yeah. not who I picked. Yeah. But I always like to point out when B-Peps could have had a larger <laughs> yeah. role yep. in this movie, but we don't do that. <laughs> That's not what we do. Just trust us, guys. Like a Barry Pepper movie is coming. Um, are we recasting Barry Pepper in a Barry Pepper movie? Yeah, we should. As a smaller character. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so for my Tanner, I picked Regina King. Oh yeah, I love Regina King. Did you finish Watchmen? Yeah. Oh, so good. Um, I talked about her a couple pods back. I I forget what I picked her for, but she's so good. She's so good. And she's so versatile. Yeah. You don't think that like, so she's much younger than Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall was 67. Yeah. So you didn't like the sort of ageism aspect of Um, the group being like, we're young, hot, fucking comet astronauts. And here's this old moon lander who's like... I didn't 
think <laughs> we're common astronauts. I just didn't think it was necessary. Like, I think there's lots of reasons for like old school versus new school. Uh-huh. Like that doesn't have to be like, oh, we're, we got this like ancient, not that Robert Duvall is ancient, but like, oh, we got the old guy over here. It could just literally be a matter of um, like she is part of, well, I mean, given the current state of NASA or lack of state of NASA, like it's that thing of like, oh, here's someone who was in the old school, yeah, but like we are doing things differently, yeah, and so we just don't know what this woman's bringing to the table, and ultimately, what he brings to the table is leadership, mm. and he is the one who takes control and yeah, puts forth the idea of what they have to do to actually make their mission successful, and so that's really what's more important is just like the level of distrust could be about anything, yeah, but like. You just need someone in this part who can be the one to be like, okay, guys, we could still make this work. We're just going to have to give our lives to make it happen. My brain went on a weird tangent there. But um, and here's another thing I was thinking. A friend of mine told me the other day that within 20 years, there will be no no humans left alive that have walked on the moon. And I think yeah. it's our job on a podcast called Rebooted to help reboot the space program. To make sure that <laughs> there are always humans that have walked on Weirdly, I feel kind of passionately, not that I, because I know I have lots of friends who are like, some people love NASA and I get it. I just feel weirdly passionately about like what exploring space means for us on Earth. And so I think it's insane that we aren't. I mean, it, it costs a lot of money, but I think there's a high level of we get we get a strong return from just attempting. Yeah. I mean, all the things we've discovered wasn't like Velcro discovered mm-hmm. because of the space program. I think so. Tang. Tang. Think of, oh. Could I, could I imagine being a nine-year-old kid without Tang? <laughs> no. no. But, like, in all seriousness, mm-hmm. I, like, it is sad to think that we're no longer really Pursuing. pushing the same kind yeah. of, well. <sighs> Ooh, 2020. Um, now we're, <laughs> now we're here. Um, I actually really liked the kind of, uh. So like, I know you don't like me kind of thing. I, I just enjoy it, like having someone there where despite not being wanted or despite whatever the reasons that people feel a certain way to this character, that they persevere and win back like literally everyone. So what do you think of the crew? Heroes all. It's the finest group I ever had the privilege of working with. Yeah, yeah. Off the record. And... Well, they've been trained in ways I'll never understand. They're smarter and better shape than we ever were in the old days. They're sober, serious. I guess I'd be a little happier about this whole thing if I thought they'd any more scared as I am. <laughs> well, they're not scared of dying. They're just scared of looking bad on TV. Like, they're a leader not because of rank. They're a leader because of, like, who they are and that they yeah. know what the right thing is. And when things are going, like, nuts, when John Favreau goes fucking, when he gets blasted into space and the Russian is like, we have to go back, and Robert Duvall's like, He's like, sit down, just sit down. I really loved that. So I ended up picking, wait for it, Oprah. No, uh, <laughs> I ended up picking Frances McDermott, who I really love as an actress, who, who plays more sort of driven characters, but I just really remembered her from Fargo. Like oh, being, okay. Um, you know, just the more patient police officer, mm-hmm. very polite police officer, and I don't know. I just I wanted to see her as she, the kind of senior in space. She brings big she brings a big energy of I know you don't like me, but you're going to respect me. <laughs> but can't you see her like reading Moby Dick to um the astronaut who got blinded? Which is truly like the icing on the cake of like this guy's old like <laughs> And then what he's the one who's like, you "Would you? Me? What books did you read?" <laughs> oh gosh! Your children didn't bring any real books to read. Did you know that? I brought Moby Dick and Huckleberry Finn and Baker and Simon and never read them. Now I'm afraid to ask you: Have you ever read Melville or Twain? Hmm? Hey, my child of the movies, fish. That's great. I love it. I love our uh, synergy on women as leaders in space. In space. Also, I loved their polo shirts in space. Yeah, they had a real nice wardrobe of like nerd culture that I, like it was like a nerd chic that I was really I'm just digging. like obsessed with how in both 
movies, there is this thing of like they design these advanced spaceships and they're not at they're so much more advanced than what we've been using that they're just like hanging out in polo shirts <laughs> riding into space. I was like, what? But it's kind of fun that they imagined a world where it's just easier than yeah. it is. Um, now. All right. Let's move on to arguably the weakest part of this movie. <laughs> Leo and Sarah. Leo played by Elijah Wood. Sarah beautifully played by Lily Sobieski. Mm-hmm. Uh, although every time she decided not to go with Leo, I just kept screaming at the <sighs> freaking TV. Because like the army shows up to pick up Leo and his family because Leo discovered the he's one of two people who discovered the comet. And then she's like, Sarah's like, I'm not leaving my family. And then the bus leaves. And then she runs after the bus. It's like, you could have been on there. Listen, I'm always and forever, always and forever going to say this. If you are like 16 years these movies where these like 15 year old children are like in each other's arms. No. No. How did you This feel? person is not the love of your life. How you, did you barely feel know. About- <laughs> you <laughs> please. No. Please. I I was so obsessed with the weird moment where he's like I know a way where we can guarantee Exactly. And then they cut to them getting married. I was about married. to ask you, how do you feel about the child bride scene? Because they're getting married <sighs> and the camera goes from Leo being like earnestly like, hey, I kind of locked this one down. And then it goes to her being like, I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for my family. And then it pans up to the dad and the mom. And the dad's like, I've made oh my, my daughter gosh. do this. Like, you know, the dad was like. You know, if you marry him, we all can go. Like, you should marry him. And and you're just like, ooh. Like, there's some <laughs> subtext in that scene that I was really, I really love. Like, that, um, who's the, Mimi, uh, Mimi leader was like, we're going to do this. We're going to lean into the, the dad is probably a creep. I talked to civil defense. They said if you and I got married, we'd be family and I could get you in. Well, what about my parents? They're not your family. I don't want to go without my parents. You don't have to. I'm the famous Leo Biederman, and I haven't used my fame for anything. But I got them to let your family go, too. You, this is your only chance to survive. It's such a weird scenario that, in all honesty, makes sense. Like, Leo is pulsing with hormones he thinks he's never gonna see Lily Sobieski again and it is devastating him and he's like if there's any way we can fix it in my dumb science brain I'm 16 and my thing is legally if we are partners I you you get to come it makes sense but it is so weird, it's especially so weird. because like her parents don't like I feel like a better version of this is that her parents are like, are you sure? And then when the time comes and they're like, you guys don't get to come. They are like tearfully like pushing her like, please go save yourself. It sounds so dramatic, but just go like you have a chance. Leave. And that doesn't happen. There's this weird thing. It doesn't where happen until the end. They're also attached. And then but that. I was screaming internally during that part because this dum-dum thinks that this little girl is the love of his life enough that he is looking in straight into the zone of safety and is like, no, I have to go no get her. parent. And a, Richard a Schiff teenager. is like, no. okay, no. The most unbelievable moment is when Richard Schiff is like, I'm, Richard Schiff is like, I'm giving him something to barter with. He's like, go, Ugh. go save Sarah. No, no. It is so no. stupid because his parents would have been like, you dumb, dumb idiots made your choice yeah. and you're dumb. You're 16. I know. Trust me, you're going to find someone in this cave. <laughs> it's all good. I wish he was like, Literally, there are more fish out there, and this time the fish are going to be in this barrel with you. Like, it's we're going in. Yeah, it's going to be fine. It's so stupid. It's I so just, stupid. I can't handle the like, the suspension of disbelief that always. And I think part of it, which that may be what made it so weird, is that part of this is in all these movies where you see young people coming together, it's always like. 25 year olds playing 17 year olds and so there's something very adult about them and so you're like okay we buy this you're gonna be together forever there's something about them actually being that age and being so small where you're like no believe me 
the love of your life when you're 16 is not it. Get out of there. Here's a fun no. little Here's a fun little piece of trivia for these characters. The first cut of this film had more scenes with Leo and Sarah. However, in response to a poorly received sneak preview, these scenes were drastically reduced. And I read that and I was just like, yeah, like this this is what we're like it's fine. It's a fine storyline to have the teen's perspective, mm-hmm. a little like Romeo and Juliet kind of thing, but I think a much better way to see it today. And they kind of allude to it in the hilarious assembly in the beginning. I think today this. Oh, you mean the assembly where a child stands up and says, you're going to have so much sex because of this. Yeah. And then all of the girls around his girlfriend are like, oh, my God, Sarah, <laughs> Sarah but, that's you. But I feel like that's real. Like that's that's where this story should have gone is like this kid who becomes famous for this mm-hmm. thing. And as the year progresses and it gets more and more clear that these kids aren't going to like survive like what does that look like like what does it look like to be the teenager who discovered the thing that might destroy earth and do girls go up to him or do boys go up to her and are like hey like let's get married like i gotta save my family like i you, I gotta save my family and then it becomes like a choice like he has mm-hmm. like a choice he like he can do this or she can do this do they need to like do like that i think is like a really interesting thing to explore of like yeah of what this kid goes through not like I have to save Sarah because she's the love of my life and then did he not think that they weren't going to give him the baby and now she's just a single mom with a baby like yikes anyways they have to climb that mountain I was like this poor girl with a baby strapped to her yeah it's just he should she made her choice Um, it's Uh, your turn I think it is my turn Uh, I ended up picking a child actor who um, would read a little more earnest and endearing than like teen creep. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I like Elijah Wood, but like, don't get me wrong, he's he. <laughs> there's a weirdness in his eyes that yeah. kind of. If you're gonna do this Romeo and Juliet storyline, it's a little strange. Yeah, um, I end up going with uh, an actor known as known as his name is um, an actor named Chosen Jacobs who was in It. Oh yeah, he played young Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought he. I just thought he was like really sweet in that and like kind and of there's like a seriousness to yeah. him that yeah that adds a little more than like yeah. yeah yeah you're right that there's I feel like part of it is that it's Elijah Wood and we know him and we love him for many different things but there's like child actor actor Elijah Wood and adult Elijah Wood and somewhere in the middle things got mm-hmm. as they do for child actors a little wonky and so this isn't his best version like you're not looking at him like yes star yeah. of stage and screen um who'd you pick i picked caleb mclaughlin from stranger things sort of because i felt like i think he's a really fun guy mm-hmm. and i kind of like the idea of instead of it being this thing where like he's a very serious kid almost with the weight of the world on his shoulders i like more the the struggle for him being like he has to grow up really quickly. Yeah. Like maybe he's super smart. He has a part to play in all of this discovery of the meteor. He, But then like he kind of has to go from like 16 to like 25. Like he has just got to become. And it's tough for him because he's like a fun kid. Like he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to do that. But then all of a sudden, like maybe the outside pressures are like, oh, okay. Like, like I honestly, something that would be way more interesting to me is more the idea of like the pressures that a situation like this puts on you as a kid that you don't wouldn't normally have. Because what if like it's like Sarah's parents, like they're not super great friends, but like Sarah's parents and Leo's parents are really good friends. And so they hatch this plan where they're like, hey, if our kids get married, we can all go. You like we save ourselves a little more. And then that plays more into like the breaking of like whose decision was this and why do we have to do this? But like. I can see stuff like that happening in a world where people literally think the world is going to end. And so they're trying to find any way they can to make sure they can save themselves. Yeah. Like that's more interesting than like the weird, like they kiss at the end of their wedding and I'm like, ugh, these kids have never touched each other. Uh, I know. Like, and they're all ugh. like nerdy weirdos and you're just like, these two don't know what is happening. Yeah. It's- but it was really lovely at the beginning because we kind of see them at first doing their their celestial studies 
at the beginning of the movie. And there is something very lovely and very like welcome to welcome to the late 90s where it's like, oh, there's Elijah Wood and that's what he looked like. And oh, Lily Sobieski, remember her? And it was just like a like a a warm bath of like the late 90s that just washes <laughs> over you. And then you find out that Mike O'Malley is their teacher and you're like, what? Yeah, it's crazy. Where's every, every scene, you're just like, there's someone, someone famous, someone famous, someone famous. Yeah. It's great. All right, let's get to our last big shining meteor, Barry Pepper. Hmm. Kendall, where's Barry Pepper go? Where'd you put him? I made him Alan Rittenhouse, which is James Cromwell's character. Oh, the Secretary of State? Yeah, the one who resigns. Yeah. I made him Oren Monash. Oh. Um, the astronaut who is blinded by the sun, who had one of my favorite moments. Who is blinded by the light. Blinded by the light. That's how that song goes, right? It's a little cat meow, electric cat meow at the beginning, and everyone's like, oh. Oh, now we know what we're getting. <laughs> we're all cute in. Do we know what we're getting? Um, yeah, Oren, the astronaut who is... As soon as he goes, it's okay. So it's a classic drilling moment. This movie also has drilling in it, guys. Yeah, which is truly the most fascinating thing about it is that the generic version of these two movies is, oh, it's Armageddon and Deep Impact, two movies about uh, meteors hitting the Earth. But the fact that they both then involve astronauts going to space to drill a hole to put a nuke in to explode... What a time to be alive! Nineteen ninety eight was, and it was funny. Is like they land on the the meteor, um, like pretty pretty casually. Okay, mm-hmm. they get the gear out. There's only four of them. Yeah, there's one drill. It goes down like almost all the way, and then you know. Well, the, uh, the good just, thing it was just real. It just felt real. <laughs> well, that's and Armageddon is insane. Where they take a dune buggy and they, like <laughs> launch themselves <laughs> over a canyon in this in this. Thing. Oh, God. That's the good thing about Deep Impact, though, is that they essentially succeed on their mission. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Great. That's all we had to do. Yep. Like, if you want to create that suspense, it doesn't have to be a half hour sequence of everything going wrong on the way to even attempt it. I know. They ju- they do it. It just doesn't work. <laughs> it's just so much cleaner. <laughs> okay. But anyways, Oren... Uh, Monash had the the best scene when they're all saying goodbye, mm-hmm. and the guy's like, "We couldn't get your wife. She's not like she's not coming." And then the guy's like, "It's okay." And then she shows up, and like he's like touching. The, it's a very like interstellar moment. He's like touching the screen, and she's like, "I named him after you." And like the guy's like, "He's he has like a little rocket ship," and he's like, "Oh, be good." And you're like, "Oh my god!" I was like. I was nearly crying, but then I realized that everyone gets a goodbye except the Russian dude. The Russian dude has no goodbye. Yeah. And then I felt really sad. <laughs> I well, like, I mean, at this point, Ooh. we know we've completely lost communication with Russia. Yeah. They're just like, meh, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, Russian guy was cool. That is one way in which this movie could have been better is if Peter Stormare was the Russian guy. <laughs> That's the one thing I'm going to get. Doesn't have the storm air. Um, what about anything else you got? I just feel like this movie feels like a movie for grownups. Armageddon feels like a movie for 17-year-old boys. And I liked that watching this, I felt challenged. Yeah. That's it. I mean, you're right. It really, it really is. It deals with themes about the end that are very uncomfortable. And it was done very well in Armageddon. If it had missile launchers on the space buggies, would be to sell toys. Um, (laughs) Would you remake this movie? I don't think so. I don't think it adds to anything to have a third version of this movie out there in the world. But especially because this version exists in such a lovely place. Yeah. I'm going to say no, because I just like this. Yeah, I agree with you. I said no. I feel like Interstellar is the closest sort of like most relatable movie to this sort of genre mm-hmm. um, and like story. And even then, like to, to remake this movie would just to sensationalize it more. And it that would, I feel like would take it out of the realm of realism that actually makes this movie great on its own. Yeah. So I, I'm with you. Like, I just, I don't, I don't want to see another asteroid movie. Like, if someone out there is like, I'm going to write a movie about, like, an asteroid hitting Earth and, like, what would that mean for us? 
if someone says that to you, just turn to them and be like, we have that movie. It's called Deep Impact. And it answers a lot of those questions. Like, yeah. Don't don't write that movie. Write a different movie. Um, all right. I think that's it. Yeah, we did it. it. We did it. Starting off strong in 2020 with, desert, with, with end of the world movies because you know what? It really feels like it. <laughs> but we'll be back next week with an incredible movie for you. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Rebooted. Uh, please tell your friends. Please uh, rate and subscribe. If you like this podcast, leave us a note or something and hit us up online. Ken, where can the people find us? You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stop by and leave us a rating and review wherever that is. That's the best way to help us out if you want to help us out. You can also find us now on Ko-fi where you can go to make a very small donation. The price of a cup of joe. Just to help us keep making this fine podcast. That link is in our description and all over Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, you can find us on social media at Rebooted Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. We've streamlined now. Yeah. We're just all one. We're wearing polos in space, baby. Yeah. Polos <laughs> in fashion. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye.